0: Welcome to the Femtech Focus Podcast, brought to you by FemHealth Insights, the leaders in women's health market research and consulting. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and in this show, we have meaningful and provocative conversations with fem Health experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Don't forget to register for our upcoming Revitalized Summit on June 28th. This virtual one-day event will dive deep into the ways government plays a role in women's healthcare. The event is sparked by the 30-year anniversary of the Revitalization Act, which mandated that females must be included in clinical trials in the United States. This was quite the change since before then females were banned from clinical trials. We'll hear from government officials, industry leaders on topics such as clinical trial recruitment, alternative funding mechanisms and reimbursement strategies for fem health innovations you're not going to want to miss it. So get your tickets today. They're only $30. But for you special Fem fans, use promo code PODCAST for 50% off. Tickets are super affordable because I want you to be there. Register on our website, either FemHealthInsights or FemTechFocus.com. And again, use promo code PODCAST for 50% off. All right, we're having another episode of Femme Tech with Dr. Britt. Every month, I'll be taking a deep dive into special fem health topics. Join me as I explore everything from menopause to mental health, separating facts from fiction, and empowering women to take control of their health and well-being. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn about Femtech with Dr. Britt. In today's episode, I'll be talking about osteoporosis, a disease that affects over 10 million people in the U.S. alone, of which are female. We'll be going back to the basics and learning what bones actually are, what happens to them throughout a person's life, and what osteoporosis is and why it impacts females so disproportionately. This episode is a great opportunity to learn more about bone health and osteoporosis. Enjoy the episode! All right, fans. let's kick it off by first learning about what are bones. So the study of bones is osteology. I thought that was kind of fun. Osteology, bone anatomy. And bones are a living tissue that make up the body's skeleton. There are 206 bones in the human skeleton, not including our teeth or small bones found within our cartilage. 80 of these 206 bones are axial bones. This includes the head, facial, uh, the trunk, the ribs, the sternum, and then 126 appendicular bones. (laughs) Sorry, y'all going to have to, these femtecs with Dr. Britt, we're all just going to learn about how to pronounce these words. Uh, And so these 126 appendicular bones include things like your arms, your shoulders, wrists, hands, legs, hips, ankles, and feet. Bones provide shape and support for the body, as well as protection for some organs. Bones also serve as a storage site for minerals and provide the medium, which is the marrow for the development and storage of different um, immune system cells, also blood cells. So bones are living, they're not just like this, these fossils that have nothing going on. They're constantly generating cells for your body. They're constantly growing and moving. In fact, There's so much turnover in your bones that in four years, four years, the skeleton of a young person will be completely new compared to their skeleton today. What? Every four years, you're a whole new human. This is crazy. So very, very active. Bones are made out of a few things, such as collagen, which is a protein that provides a soft framework, accounts for 30% of the body's proteins. I did not know that. Collagen is the most abundant protein in the human body. 30% of your body's proteins are collagen. Calcium phosphate is another mineral compound that adds strength and hardens the framework of the bones. Other minerals, such as magnesium, potassium, fluoride osteoblasts, which are cells, and we're going to learn more about osteoblasts and osteoclasts. So get ready to learn about those. So osteoblasts are found within the bone and they function to form new bone tissue. So blasts, bone, they make new bone. I'm trying to think of a a fun catchphrase for us to like all remember that together. Maybe throughout this, I'll think of a better one. Osteoclasts is a very large cell formed in the bone marrow, and it functions to absorb and remove unwanted tissue. Again, we're going to learn more about osteoblasts in class in a second. We also have osteocytes, which found within the bone and function to help maintain bone as a living tissue. Um, and hematoploidic. <laughs> Listen, y'all, I definitely have a degree in biology. I just have not said these words in so long Hemityploidic is a um, the cells found in the bone marrow and they function to produce your red blood cells, your white blood cells, and your platelets. These are a type of stem cell. And so let's learn about, now that we know the components making up our bones... Let's learn about how bones are maintained biologically. And this is where I really start to get geeky. And I love it because I I really did learn a lot in the research for this. And again, huge shout out to our incredible teammates, Apurva and Megan from FemHealth Insights, who helped me find all this interesting data so we can bring you these episodes every month. So how are bones maintained? Bones are maintained through a process called bone remodeling. Old brittle bone tissue is removed and resorbed and replaced by new tissue. And this happens when reshaping the bones happen after a fracture. So, you you know, you're riding your bike, you fall off, you hit your arm, there's a big crack. So that's a fracture or repairing microcracks. So we actually are always experiencing these little tiny microcracks, especially in strength training or lifting heavy weights. So I thought that was really interesting. In fact, um, these microcracks are what lead to things like when older women have osteoporosis and they have that little bit of a hunchback. Actually, if you Google Imrid microcracks and bones in old women, you'll see what actually is happening. It's the microcrack happening in the vertebrate that can't get fixed by the cells. that, And we're going to talk about that in a second, why it really depends on uh, estrogen to do this. But those micro cracks are what's causing that woman to kind of hunch over a little bit. thought that was super interesting. So bone remodeling is run by two cell types. Obviously, this is a very simplified version. So those listening who are bone experts, give us a break. <laughs> We're trying to just get everyone updated. Some basic knowledge on bones. So these two cells that really are the key factors in bone remodeling are called your osteoclasts and your osteoblasts. So your osteoclasts, they go first. And what they do is they actually break down old bone tissue by secreting enzymes and acids that dissolve the mineralized matrix of the bone tissue. So you literally, we have these big fat cells that are just going through on the bone and they're, they're spitting out all these enzymes and they're kind of getting rid of all the old bone, breaking it down to little minerals. And these minerals are released either into the bloodstream to be used as by the body as needed. And this process is called bone resorption. So you're reabsorbing these minerals from your bones. And these cells, very important here, ding, ding, ding. These cells, these osteoclasts that are degrading your bone are regulated by estrogen. So when you don't have estrogen, these osteoclasts are unregulated, meaning that they just keep going and going and no one's telling them to stop. Estrogen is actually the signaling molecule that tells the osteoclasts to not break down the bone. I thought that maybe osteoporosis was like the lack of re- new formation and that and that is true, but actually the bigger issue here is the lack of estrogen makes the osteoclasts continue to break down your bones. I did not know that, super interesting. You all now know a very interesting fact. All right. And the second cell is your osteoblasts. And these build, blast build, blast build. That's how we're going to remember it. I just figured it out, y'all. Osteoblasts build bone. So they build bone tissue by synthesizing and secreting collagen, a protein that forms the framework of bone tissue. They also deposit calcium and other minerals to mineralize the collagen. New bone formation and recovery can now occur with the osteoblast doing this. A fundamental concept of bone remodeling is that of coupling between the bone resorption and the bone formation. So these cells really work hand in hand, like one right after the other. Uh, once osteoclasts have completed their work of bone resorption, so like clearing away a micro crack in the bone, they recruit the osteoblasts. Through a number of potential mechanisms to refill the reabsorbed cavity and thereby maintain the overall integrity and strength of the skeleton. So super, super interesting. I didn't know any of that. So I'm, I hope we all learned something already and we still got a bunch of more to go through. So let's really dive into a little bit more about the role of estrogen in bone formation. Estrogen is a major uh, systemic regulator of bone metabolism, not only in women, but also in men. Okay, so this is not just a women's thing. Men's osteoclasts are also regulated by estrogen. Estrogen is a steroid hormone derived from cholesterol, allowing it to pass through the plasma membranes of cells and interact with intracellular receptors. All that really means is that estrogen is a molecule that can enter into cells, not just on the outside of cells. It can actually get inside there and regulate a lot of different stuff. Estrogen is produced by the ovaries, at least in females there are other parts of your body that create it. That's why men have them too. (laughs) And it maintains bone density by inhibiting the activity of the osteoclasts or blocking gene expression for osteoclast formation. Without blocking these cells, they continue to reabsorb the bone. So now let's learn about how broken bones heal exactly. So right after you break a bone, the cells in the bone marrow send out a call for help to all the other cells in your body to start the healing process. This causes a lot of swelling around the broken bone, also known as inflammation. We know about this, right? While you see inflammation on your skin inside the bone, the blood from the fracture and other cells that heal the bone are working hard to form a soft callus. So the callus is a soft bridge between the broken parts of the bone, and it's the start of the healing process. So the first thing that happens is breaking the bone, inflammation happens, swelling, a lot of the cells are just like forming around that broken bone. And the first thing to happen is it forms a soft callus. It takes about one week. the soft callus to fully form i didn't know that and just like the name says it's soft so it's not real strong bone yet once the soft callus is in place the osteoblasts building bone they build bone blasts the osteoblasts get to work and they start putting down calcium and other minerals into this soft callus which then turns it into the real hard bone that we know of This is a super slow process and it can take three weeks to six months for the body to change the soft callus to strong bone. And obviously we can all kind of think like, if we have lots of estrogen, like we're healthy, we have our hormones, uh, those are blocking the osteoclasts and so you're not having degradation. You can really focus on the reforming of the bone. But imagine if you are postmenopausal, you don't have estrogen to block the osteoclasts, trying to repair a broken bone while you have cells degrading your bone, not very helpful. You usually will wear a cast or a splint until this new hard bone has replaced the soft callus. Uh, Once the broken bone heals fully, it should be just as strong as the rest of your bones, so you won't be more or less likely to break it than any other bone in your body. I guess I had a preconceived notion that like, oh, if you broke it once, you're more likely to break it again, but supposedly the data shows that because we're always redoing our bones, we're always resynthesizing them, it's pretty much on par with the health of the rest of your bones in the body. What bone diseases exist? So we have osteoporosis, a condition characterized by decreased bone density and increased risk of fractures. We're going to actually dive deeper into that in a second. Osteoarthritis, which involves the degeneration of joint cartilage and can result in bone spurs and changes into the underlying bone structure. Rheumatoid arthritis, autoimmune disease that primarily affects the joints but can also cause inflammation in the bones. Peggett's disease of bone, which is abnormal bone remodeling, resulting in enlarged and weakened bones. It can lead to bone pain, fractures, and deformities. Number five, osteogenesis imperfecta, also known as brittle bone disease, which is a genetic disorder characterized by fragile bones that are prone to fractures. It's caused by a defect in the production of collagen, a protein essential for bone strength. We all know that now, right? So osteoblasts get to work by putting calcium and other minerals into the callus, which turn it into the hard bone. Number six is bone cancer. Various types of cancer can affect the bones, including osteosarcoma, chondosarcoma, and Ewing sarcoma. These cancers can weaken the bones, cause pain, and increase risk of fractures. Fibious dysplasia. This is a rare bone disorder characterized by the replacement of normal bone by fibrous tissue, and it can lead to bone pain, deformities, and increased risk of fractures. So a lot of interesting different things that can go wrong with your bones. And I think a lot of people think of their bones as just, you know, kind of like the framework and it's not living or breathing or doing anything, but in fact, it is regenerating and renewing and at risk of disease. And so it is absolutely important to consider these things when thinking about your overall health. So let's dive into osteoporosis. Um, As you know, osteoporosis is a condition that disproportionately affects females, specifically women that are postmenopausal. So let's find out why. Osteoporosis is a condition characterized by decreased bone density and increased risk of fractures. It occurs when the body loses too much bone, making it to be too little, very brittle and leading to weakened and higher risk of fractures. It's called a silent disease because it typically progresses without symptoms until a fracture occurs. This is reminds me a whole lot of like allergies. We don't know we're allergic to something until we eat it and have anaphylactic shock. So, uh one of those diseases where it doesn't make any sense that we wait for the terrible thing to happen before we find out you have it, but we'll talk about um other risk factors and how they diagnose this in a little bit, but definitely a silent disease. Um, common sites for fractures in people with osteoporosis include the spine, the hip, wrists, and ribs. I don't know about y'all. I mean, n- and no bone is good to be broken, but your spine, your hips, your wrists, and your ribs, pretty sensitive bones to be broken. Uh, besides sex, some other factors that increase your risk for osteoporosis is age. The so bone density tends to decrease with age, making older individuals more susceptible to osteoporosis. Number two, hormonal factors, low levels of sex hormones, such as estrogen in women and testosterone in men can increase the risk of osteoporosis. And that's actually really important because you don't have to wait till you're postmenopausal to have osteoporosis or weak bones. A lot of, especially females who have eating disorders and are not eating enough nutrition to the point that they actually lose their menstrual cycle and lose a lot of that really important nutrition to maintain their bones. Did you know that if a natural menstrual cycle of a young woman is interrupted for these reasons or other, This can lead to a real severe impact on her bone health. In just six months of interrupted menstrual cycles can give a young woman the bone quality equivalent to a woman over the age of 50. So six months of interrupted menstrual cycles as a young woman can make your bone quality the same as a woman over the age of 50. That is very dramatic and like huge step back in your health, right? It's just six months with a disrupted menstrual cycle, a disrupted estrogen can cause this. Luckily, uh, from what I'm understanding about these cells, if the woman can get her estrogen cycle back up and working, we can reform those bones. We can put a, a stop to the osteoclasts and increase the osteoblast work and get her bones back up to that healthy level. Another factor that affects uh, your factors to increase risk for osteoporosis is lifestyle. So, lack of regular exercise, low diet in calcium or vitamin D, smoking, excessive alcohol consumption, and prolonged use of certain medications like corticosteroids. What are the rates of broken bones in females? Let's talk about that and kind of the impact of it, because this isn't just, you know, old lady walking around with a hot pink cast, getting people to sign it like we did in high school or grade school, but there's some serious consequences and lifestyle implications here. So let's talk about that. Approximately one in two women over the age of 50 will break a bone because of osteoporosis. What? Let's say that again. One in two women, 50% of women over the age of 50, will break a bone because of osteoporosis. And the risk of breaking a hip for a woman is equal to her combined risk of breast, uterine, and ovarian cancer together. What? that's huge your risk of breaking a hip for a woman is equal to her combined risk of breast uterine and ovarian cancer i feel like we hear so much about those cancers and rarely about women's broken hips due to bone degradation in general there's a severe underreporting around osteoporosis rates and bone break rates in women due to the lack of screening Marginalized communities often deprioritize such conditions because they have so many barriers to overcome and issues to face. So let's dive into those numbers a little bit too. Of the estimated 10 million Americans with osteoporosis, about 8 million or 80% of them are women. Approximately one in two women over the age of 50 will break a bone because of osteoporosis. 20% of Caucasian women over the age of 50 are estimated to have osteoporosis. So 20% of Caucasian women over 50 are estimated to have osteoporosis. About 15% of Caucasians are lactose intolerant, which can make it difficult to get enough calcium for the bones. 5% of African-American women older than 50 are estimated to have osteoporosis, but this number is wildly underreported. To think that you know over 20% of white women have osteoporosis, but less than 5% of African-American women Either they have an amazing, um, you know, genetic strength around this, you know, like maybe biologically, but in fact, people, public health professionals really think that it's just a matter of underreporting. It's only reported that 5% of African American women over the age of 50 are estimated to have osteoporosis, but about 70% of African Americans are lactose intolerant. And so if you have 70% of a group that can't have milk... That also decreases your ability to maintain your bone health. So, that would actually, in turn, potentially make you think that Black women potentially have more osteoporosis, potentially, potentially, right? In the United States, African-American women are more likely than many other racial or ethnic groups to have diseases that can lead to osteoporosis, such as lupus. So, again, we have these signals that are saying that, in fact, we almost look like they should be having more osteoporosis, not five times less. And so that is just, like, really important point to get across in terms of, like, we need to report, we need to screen, and we need to be looking at these, quote-unquote, silent diseases. They are real. 10% of Latinas have osteoporosis. So apparently, you know, based on these statistics, 50% less than white people. But many Latinas are lactose intolerant, which makes it difficult for them to get the calcium. And we do see a rise in hip fractures amongst Latinas in the United States. And so again, potentially not half as many osteoporosis patients as white women in the United States, but potentially an underreporting issue. So let's talk about how this affects women's lives and what's the economic impact and burden here. A conservative estimate of the worldwide direct and indirect annual cost of hip fracture in 1990 was $34.8 billion. So That's 1990, though. That's <laughs> one year before I was born, actually. Uh, but what it said was it was set to predict to rise to 131 billion dollars by 2050 at a cost of $21,000 per patient. The costs associated with other fractures are less defined. The cost of a fragility fracture in 2005 in the USA was estimated to be $19 billion. The total annual direct medical costs associated with all hip fractures was $50,000 per patient, resulting in a yearly estimated billion in U.S. healthcare costs. So moral of the story here, y'all, is that broken bones are causing you a lot of money. And they're causing the state and the country a lot of money. And um, this is just medical bills. It's not even including the other forms of costs, such as loss of economic, you know, prosperity, because these people are no longer out shopping. They can't contribute to their local communities. They're not attending work. They're not typing as fast, right? These are affecting their productivity and their economic contributions. You know, the direct annual cost of treating uh, these fractures of people on average is is reported to be between 5 and $6.5 billion. Um, this is only for Canada, Europe, and the USA alone. And again, not taking into account all the costs of the disability and loss of productivity. So the diagnostics that exist to tell you whether or not your bones are doing good is called a DXA. So it's a dual energy x-ray absorption meter. And this is the most common test for measuring bone mineral density. It's quick, painless, and non-invasive. It looks like kind of an X-ray. You lay on this table, and this low-level X-ray passes via a scanner over the body. And it measures bone mineral density, or BMD, of the skeleton at various sites that are prone to fracture, i.e. the hip and the spine. It's the most reliable way to diagnose osteoporosis and predict future fractures. PMD or bone mass density test results compare against average bone density of young, healthy people and average bone density of other people, your age, sex, and race. It's recommended in the U.S. that women over the age of 65 get the screening done. And women at any age who have factors that increase their chances of developing osteoporosis, maybe uh, eating disorder, or they're taking certain kinds of medication, or there's maybe family history there, maybe then they can get it earlier. Due to the lack of available evidence, though, the task force that writes these uh, recommendations in terms of preventative services, uh, they did not make any recommendations for screening in men, which is very interesting potentially, I wonder if this is one of those things where a disease is, whether it's true or not, perceived as a woman's disease, so like anorexia is perceived as a woman's disease, but we know that males are, if not equal, in terms of prevalence for anorexia. Maybe this is also one of those things. We know that women definitely have more osteoporosis, but the fact that this preventative task force wasn't even recommending any screening for men is kind of interesting. And I wonder if, I, I like to sometimes make the argument for women's health, that it improves men's health. And so maybe this is actually an example of that potentially. This is interesting. The amount of funding the government has allocated to studying osteoporosis in the United States. So um, of the $46 billion of the National Institutes of Health research budget, $156 million was allocated to studying osteoporosis in 2022. So that's 0.3% of the budget. I, I can't necessarily sit here and say that, oh, wow, that is so little. I mean, it looks little, right? 0.3% of the budget. It sounds really little, but um, I know that there are a lot of areas in women's health that have even less than that and affect even more people. But as we have this aging population, as we're living longer, as we see the economic burden of broken bones, we should actually maybe reconsider how much budget we're allocating to this. There are some treatments available for osteoporosis, and this is what we'll end on the episode with today. So treatment recommendations are based on an estimate of the risk for breaking a bone in the next 10 years. If the risk is not high, then treatment might not include medication, which would instead focus on modifying risk factors. So changing your lifestyle, changing your exercise routine, et cetera. Osteoporosis treatments typically are considered medically necessary and covered by health insurance when prescribed by a doctor, thank goodness. For patients covered by health insurance, typical out-of-pocket costs would include a prescription drug copay, usually between $5 and $150, uh, depending on which drug is used and how the insurance company classifies that drug. The most commonly prescribed class of drugs for osteoporosis are bisophosphonates, including the brand names Fosamax, Actonel, and Boniva. Apparently, y'all, I should get a medical degree because I'm so good at pronouncing all of these hard words. Um, and they work, these drugs work by interfering with the osteoclasts, which what do they do, y'all? That's right. They break down bone. So these drugs are interfering with that, those cells that are out of control because estrogen isn't present, postmenopause, and they're stopping them from breaking down your bones. For patients not covered by health insurance, the cost of osteoporosis treatments range from on the low end, about $10 a month for generic versions of drugs. Um, there is a one that just recently became available called Fosamax, uh, or up to $80 a month for brand name uh, versions of this drug. Another class of drugs are called Selective Estrogen Receptor Modulators, or CIRMs. Uh, these include brand name drugs like Avista, and they act like estrogen in the body without increasing the risk of cancer, typically prescribed to postmenopausal women at high risk of osteoporosis. Several bone building medications are also available. Synthetic version of a parathyroid hormone, Fortio, is a self-administered daily injection, but can only be used for a maximum of two years, and it can cost $900 or more per month. So yeah, helping your body build back your bone, very expensive, pretty inaccessible. Helping your body stop degrading it, that's the more accessible version. But I mean, once you've lost it, you know, you're really kind of hoping that your osteoblasts, which build bone, are able to really fill in those gaps. Similarly, some of these are only able to be used for one or two years at a time. So there is a lot of innovation that is absolutely needed here. We only have a few companies in our database that are working on bone health. And yet, as we learned today, this is a very, very serious issue that is detrimental to the longevity and lifestyle of females in the world. If we are unable to walk, to run, to to move, to to live our lives without complications of having these broken bones we're not going to have gender equality. We won't have sex equality. So we really need to uh, take a deep look inside ourselves, if you will, looking at our bones, questioning these silent diseases and asking ourselves, how can we take care of our bone health today so that we can preserve it for tomorrow? All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to another deep dive with Dr. Britt and the FemTech topic. Today, we talked about bone health and osteoporosis. I hope you learned something. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know. It's an experiment. We're trying it out. Tell us what you want to hear about. You know, do you want to hear more science, less science? Do you want me to talk more about FemTech startups working in this space or different influences in women's health in the FemTech industry? We want to hear from you. Just let us know. This podcast is for you. Obviously, I love doing it, but. I've met many of you FEM fans at conferences, events and just different community gatherings, and I want to hear from you. Tell us what you want to hear and what you want to learn about. All right, until next time. Okay, fans, it's time to get engaged. If you love the show, then you'll definitely enjoy reading our weekly newsletter. Subscribe at FemHealthInsights.com. While there, you can also join our virtual community, which has over 1,000 FemTech founders, investors, and advisors you can get insights and feedback from. We have an active events calendar, jobs board, and much more. Please give our social channels for Femtech Focus and Health Insights a follow. The links are in the show notes. And don't forget, sharing is caring. Send this show to a friend or colleague and keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.